High school age boys meet high school age girls, swap places, swap spit, get free burgers, start small businesses, are definitely separated by fate, must overcome space, time, the divine, so they can have a shot at romance that will probably end by college. Magical realism, the musical big feels of rad wimps, montages, 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 big screen love letters to the desire to leave the countryside and go to Tokyo. It's the films of Makoto Shinkai, your name and weathering with you on Okashina Podcast. Are you ready to go? and welcome to Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends. I'm Sabrina Ray and with me is Dawn. Is that is that fun enough for you, Dawn? Oh, it is nowhere near fun enough for me. God, it's like I'm exhausted. <laughs> like you are. Just like Donald Trump must be exhausted for us talking about his taxes all the time. Oh, jeez. Are we going to get into <laughs> politics on this show? I don't think Absolutely so. Absolutely not. No, we watched, we watched anime about teenagers with magic realism <laughs> and that's it that's all we do here i guess uh this week we're talking about uh the films of makoto shinkai but before that i wanted to you know find out what you're what else you're watching um i just finished watching uh the series demon slayer also known as kimetsu no yaiba in japanese it is um it is a gorgeous, gorgeous anime that is just a little too anime for me. And although I think that you could do a pretty decent podcast just talking about it, it's not that deep. <laughs> it's just pretty, and the characters are really good. I am especially fond of... It's basically the story of this kid who... His whole family is slaughtered except for he and his sister. But his sister gets the blood from some alpha demon that turns her into an oni where she's now like uh, she's supposed to at least supposed to be like a flesh eating you know like a cannibalizing monster somehow the bond between the brother and sister which sometimes seems a little creepy in the way that japanese had this whole thing where they were like into the into the little sister trope which is like that the, like sort of like uh, fetishization of the relationship between a brother and sister, like a like a, a little sister trope. Yeah. I mean, I, I I recognize this from various watchings, but I have to say, um, I'm not a terrible big fan of the little sister trope. Yeah, well, it never goes as far as you might think with that, like where I was leading that, but it's basically that. Um, the bond that they share like like keeps her from going full demon and uh, through a, a, like there's something special about her maybe I don't know but the first season is is pretty is pre- is a pretty good ride it's about 26 episodes I think it's one of those anime based on a manga and the manga actually ended super quick like it went 20 books and that's it it's typically you know like something would have like tons and tons of extensions and ways of making the story longer this one is like we're gonna fight these like 12 like like lesser demons to try to like get their blood and like find a cure for my sister and then we're gonna take out the head demon and there's like there's like some like training one of the things that i really like about it is that um the training sequences uh 
are accompanied often by healing sequences. So whenever they get their ass kicked, they actually have to like recuperate and like retrain their bodies a bit. So, um, I like the concept. Yeah, like you don't see that a lot in anime, as far as I'm concerned. Like a lot of times, they just seem to miraculously heal after the until the next thing happens. Yeah, it's it tends to be a problem actually because not that anime isn't already unrealistic, but it it's when you are when you bounce back in an infinite manner, kind of takes the punch out of out of the fight scenes. Like, what's at stake? Yeah, right. Sometimes it's a joke. Like when One Piece's Luffy eats meat and somehow recovers all of his ability and strength. Or drinks milk and his teeth return. <clears throat> oh, well, that's um, Brooke, right? The skeleton man. Well, it happens to Luffy as well. Does it really? <laughs> yes, I don't know if it happens in the anime, but uh, I remember specifically <laughs> the care that they paid to it in the manga where he, he went back and they drank milk and then he had a gleaming, bright, full-toothed smile again. That's such a pun. And they, I think they made something... They made like a specific reference to it, if I recall, something like this This only happens in anime or something. That is such a Popeye moment. Like Popeye the oh, Sailor absolutely. Man where he like downs the can of spinach and his muscles start bulging. <laughs> oh, this is uh, this we're like 90 years old. This is all fake. <laughs> oh, I mean, gosh. We could, I do not want to get into the list of personal ailments that I am currently undergoing in my uh, advanced years. Oh my but goodness! It's uh, more than zero. I I have been Try rubbing some spinach see. on it. So I'm going to just um, briefly relate what I have been watching recently, which admittedly is not always um, anime. I'm thinking about no, that's fine. Go ahead. Looking into Black Clover, if only because my oldest uh, son recently finished One Piece, but I don't really want to go down that road with him because the youngest one is reading it. Um, so there's some push to watch Black Clover, which I think is available on Hulu. My wife and I recently finished Dark, which is a very interesting sci-fi Netflix show, um, which I thought was very, very intelligent, well thought out, um, and unified set of three seasons that it has a definitive end to it, as you mentioned. Like, there's there's not going to be any additional seasons, and you would not expect there to be. No spinoffs. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know, but uh, one thing I did find fascinating about Dark is, in fact, if I if I took certain scenes and took the the level of content that they were relaying in those scenes, I'm like, this is really boring. They're, what they're saying here is trite or mm-hmm. not, you know, not interesting. But in the whole sort of dark plotting ethos and and environment that they create, it works beautifully. They really do a very good job. Uh, in that particular show, and I can highly recommend it. We, uh, I, I believe you're watching this as well. The Boys. Um, the Boys, oh, yes. one of my now, favorites. My wife has not watched any of it. Um, so I am going to, uh, because we just finished Dark, I'm going to make her watch season one so that we can both watch season two together. Oh, that's great. Um, season two has been so that, really good so far. Um, I, I'm looking forward to it. It's got a tone. I'm curious. Um, there was something as well on Netflix similar to this. Like the magicians or something was it? Um, hmm. Did you watch that? Was that any I good? I didn't watch the magicians, but I've heard that it's better than it initially appears to be. Like at first, I thought there were so many shows that came out in the post Harry Potter, like Wizarding World thing that happened that like were like trying to edge it towards adults. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this show called The Secret Circle. I remember there was a bunch of them. 
And uh, the magicians came out at the tail end of that. And my friend was like, gotta watch it. And I was like, I don't know. It looks kind of soap opery. It almost looks like the vampire diaries, but applied to witches. <laughs> so I was like, maybe, maybe not. Like I loved, like there was a show called The Vampire Diaries. It was based on a book called The Vampire Diaries, uh, which was based on a series of letters written by Emily Dickinson to Lord Byron Tennyson called The Vampire. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> goodness gracious you almost had me there i did didn't i um no he didn't write he didn't write a bunch of letters called the vampire diaries although remember that movie uh abraham lincoln vampire hunter or something yeah there was that one um similarly uh, and not to take us too far but uh the umbrella hunter academy was that what is that oh that's um i originally was interested in that because it was written by gerard way from my chemical romance and i'm totally emo for that band but it turned out to be pretty interesting. It's just not, I don't know. There's meat on the bone, but for some reason, it's its just not nourishing. It's not a satisfying it's not, meal. It's yeah, not okay. a satisfying meal. I don't know why. I think aesthetically, it's interesting. I think, um, I think that if they were to like pare it down and really just figure out like what story they specifically want to tell with these characters, that it would be more interesting. But at times it's very meandering and... There are just characters that are cool, but not really integral to anything that's happening. And they want you to like them more than I feel like I can like them. And I always hate that when I watch a show like that. The Boys has like so many good characters, like every single plot line is good. But yeah, that's not what we're here to talk about. No, I was I was in fact hoping we would uh, get to the meat on the bone here. I do really want to talk about Dark when I watch it. Because I've had it recommended to me by many people, but I have not seen it yet. So I will leave it for now. It's a treat. You will enjoy that. So, um, yes. Take us through what we're here for today. Well, we're going to do a double punch. We're going to do uh, two films by the director Makoto Shinkai, who he makes teenage stories with magical realism elements, but they're grounded and. He incorporates a lot of music and not just music, but like he almost cuts his movies like music videos, breaking them up into sort of like pieces where you'll get like music video number one and it'll be a montage, but it'll be it'll be like super well cut to the to the music where they definitely are in a conversation with one another. That's a that's a way someone else described it, but I think it applies. Um, and he works with a band called Radwimps for both films. Your Name came out first. It was in 2016. And at the time, Jib- Studio Ghibli, which does um, Mononoke Hime, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. God, you can name any movie, any anime movie. And it's probably a Studio Ghibli film that people have heard of. Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo, just so many. Spirited Away. Spirited Away. <laughs> Like so many of them are just at the top of the all-time anime uh, great hits, greatest hits worldwide grosses, and yet they sort of sit at the top, and no one had been able to topple them. And here comes this movie out of nowhere. It was a deal he had to put together a script with it with a com- with a film company Toho, and he didn't even have a script. Like he had he know out like he had to like put it together in like two weeks and he kind of came up with this idea and then he pitched it to them and 
and people just latched onto it. It it surpassed Spirited Away, which made 355 million worldwide. Your name went on to not only dominate the Japanese market, although it never topped Spirited Away there, I don't think. It went on to top the worldwide market. It reached out beyond Japan and it hit the worldwide market in a big way because like aside from Ghibli, not a whole lot of anime, maybe like some of the auteurs like um like artists or auteurs like Satoshi Kon, um, who did Paprika and um, Perfect Blue. People know that outside of the out of Japan, but it was never like a huge hit. This this was like a blockbuster, and it reached the audiences that sort of like normally might not watch anime. And uh, and so we're going to be talking about that movie, and we're going to be talking about Weathering with You, the follow up to that movie, which didn't do quite as well, but. As you pointed out, it is still in the top uh, five of Japanese films of all time, as far as grosses. It made 193 million. You know, it was definitely a powerhouse. Uh, and it's it's somewhat, you know, as a critical success, it was, or as a success, it was definitely the kind of movie that your studio would be thrilled to put out. Yeah. Um, what really gets me about your name mm-hmm. is how little of it needs to be an anime. Um, when you compare Studio Ghibli's offerings, which are in many ways the definition of fantastical, right? They they involve spirits. They Flying involve um, is a the, big one. Yeah, the arcane. They involve um, mystical elements, or just they are not grounded in sort of the the reality and mundanity of everyday life. And I would definitely argue that that is a central uh theme of both your name and of weathering with you in that it has fantastical elements of course most movies have something like that but these could easily be acted out as regular movies that that are just acted with regular souls and there's no you know there's there's very little required in the nature of um fantastical elements or you're not creating a whole elf world or, (laughs) you know, giant wolves or, you know, there's not going to, there's might, I guess, in fact, it's, there's more fantastical features in uh, weathering with you than there is with your name, I would argue. Uh, And you could, you could easily do your name as a, as a, um, you know, straight, straight acted movie. There's stuff like that. There is. And then there's a few moments in each film that, that do take you sort of into the fantastical in a way that is full of spectacle and just like, it would cost so much more money to, to sink Tokyo (laughs) underneath the water or um, just look at, look at the climactic scene of your name where the, the comet is coming down and it turns into this animated storytelling where, um, where, it's clear that it works really well in anime. Anime. Oh uh, yeah, I just uh, my main point is no, I totally these get are it. much more main. Yeah, no, I know you do. The, it's much more mainstream. It is a oh, definitely. and it's grounded. It's it's a fantastical take on you know what's wanting to transcend the everyday boundaries as opposed to living in an alternate world, which is what I really feel like Studio Ghibli did and does. And there's still a tremendous market for that, but um, I can see why these movies touched a chord um, for the more mainstream audiences. I would call them crowd pleasers. 
it seems like they exist in a world where adults can be trusted and they're working towards the benefit of other people. And everyone is like, everyone is good. Nobody is trying to purposefully derail things. Um, And the characters are sort of pitted against forces that are way beyond their their like human reasoning so like in your name they're pitted against time because the two characters are three years apart and they're separated by this gulf of time which kind of ensnares and coils and their lives kind of intersect and overlap and in order to sort of in order to survive the climax of that film they have to find a way to connect across these these obstacles the, the the thing is you look at the characters like the father or the grandmother or the people or like the kids who bully her kind of like there's a character named like if we want to talk about it a little bit um the story is basically that there are two characters two teenagers there's a girl named mitsuha who is a shrine maiden who lives with her grandmother and her little sister yotsuha and then there's a boy who lives in Tokyo with his dad. I don't think we ever saw his mom, but uh, he lives with his dad and he goes to high school there. And it's kind of like the girl is in the countryside and the boy is in the city. And there's sort of a, not a longing for the other side, but they get to sort of experience what it's like to be somebody other than themselves because they are routinely switching places. And they're trading back and forth lives by the day so like one day the boy taki will uh jump into mitsuha's body and mess things up for her and then one day mitsuha will jump into taki's body and mess things up for him or you know maybe even improve them like uh when taki's in mitsuha he's like a really good basketball player girls fall in love with him and when mitsuha is in taki's body he's suddenly so sensitive and in touch with his feminine side that he's able to win over the the untouchable the unreachable beauty at his work at his part-time job and yet they're also able to screw each other's lives up because you know it's weird that uh taki suddenly starts talking with a strange accent uh he starts sitting like a girl uh his friends think he's kind of going crazy and mitsuha starts like throwing like little uh little spasms uh not spasms she starts throwing these little like fits like at art when she's criticized or something or she'll wake up every morning and touch her breasts and her little sister there's a gag that goes through the whole movie where her little sister will just come in and just be like She's nonplussed, but she's kind of shocked. Like, she just thinks her sister's dumb. Yeah, she thinks it's disgusting. She's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, every morning or every other morning I walk in here and you're groping yourself. Like, does this need to happen? Yeah. I, I thought it was hilarious. I thought that was hilarious. And there's a lot of, like, really, like, fun moments in both films where they do that. But And they also work collaboratively. They realize we're switching bodies, but we don't want to mess up each other's lives in general. We want to help. Yeah, they make rules. Um, so they're they're leaving notes to each other. They're typing on each other's phone. But they're also screwing things up. Like, she is eating lots of good food. She loves to go to cafes because um, one thing that unites both films, uh, both Weathering With You and Your Name, I think you could say, is sort of a longing for Tokyo. <laughs> like, both Hodaka 
and Mitsuha sort of like are longing to get away from their small town life. Uh, we're never quite sure why Hodaka wants it, but he just feels suffocated, it seems. It's it's very unclear. I all, I wondered if there was something a little darker there, because to run completely away from home at a fairly young age is... Yeah. Uh, usually it involves more than, oh, I feel suffocated by my family. I thought... Unless it's like your family's beating you, in which case mm. it's much darker. But the movie doesn't doesn't want to go in that direction i thought maybe that might be it at first but they don't give you any indication that that's the case especially when he has to go back at the end we are talking about weathering with you right now in case you're wondering audience we made a very quick transition because we're we'll be and i imagine we'll be jumping back and forth we'll be braiding (laughs) we'll be braiding the two stories together (laughs) i (laughs) i can't escape braids don i can't escape these like threads and these bracelets like uh i kept calling um i kept calling uh your name uh my name is misanga <laughs> because yeah, that's that's all right <laughs> we just we just finished doing sarazama in one of the huge uh like symbolic images in the movie is these bracelets or anklets that tie the main characters together and uh that's also something that's very important to your name which is uh i would say it's pretty clear that it's about this word that they keep bringing up which is musubi or the connections so like um the job of of a shrine maiden is what did you think of this i have to know i have to know because the job of a shrine maiden is to chew rice and chew it up and spit it into a box (laughs) well that's not (laughs) <laughs> that's not the only job i presume no but like that's the, the one the that ritualized... they focus on in this movie well i so i they also had the ritualistic dance which i thought was fascinating and beautiful i thought that was part of it i thought it was part of a festival in which they which culminates in sort of this creation of this offering to the gods this uh what do they call it spit takes sake <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we're talking about Kuchikamizake, right? And the visual of it, and sort of the mortified, like it, the movie puts you in Mitsuha's shoes, basically for this, where she has to do this in front of her friends, this old traditional practice, because uh, her family is directly tied to sort of the history of the land that she lives in this this town called Itomori. Um, and there's this shrine and there's it was it's in the center of a crater so like a meteor struck and there's a whole like um there's a whole history about how a bunch of like the a bunch of the records of what all this means and how it's done etc have burned but there is a sense with her and with the the boy character named Teshi who also lives in the town that they're supposed to take on these um these traditions and and it's and that might be part of why you know Mitsuha does want to escape is that she's sort of bound by these things that are that are old like she also has to braid these bracelets using this old um weaving technique or braiding technique yeah so I, I do think she felt stifled by her... Stifled, that's a good word for it. ...quaint and, you know, bucolic town. Well, right, because they show us, like, at one point, Tessie offers to take them to a cafe when he finds out that they're kind of bummed. And they're like, cafe? And their ears perk up, you know? But 
it turns out just to be a vending machine that he gets a can of coffee from. And Mitsuha hasn't even gone there. It's just him and the other uh, girl that's in the movie, Sayaka. I, I would say, I feel like in across both movies, cafe has a different meaning. Like when I think of a cafe, it's relatively humdrum, just like a, a little corner coffee shop. Um, it's almost like a date it, spot in Japan, like yeah, a hangout date more, spot. It's the Applebee's of, of Japan. <laughs> Except super expensive, as you saw. Yeah, they're they're expensive, and I'm guessing the quality of such things is is better in a cafe than we might suspect. Or at least more Applebee's. stylish. At least more stylish. Yeah. No, probably better. Pe- better is I, a good word for it. I would go with better on this particular. I, I'm often wrong, but I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with better on this one. Um. So yeah, there's there's definitely the the country mouse and city mouse aspect, um, and the fact that that once they figure out that they're swapping bodies, they're very collaborative on trying to help each other out. Um, And honestly, the major conceit of the movie doesn't come until, I think, past the halfway point. Yeah. And I think looking back, one challenge that I have with the movie is if you're consistently typing notes to your purported other half um, in Mm -hmm. their phone or otherwise leaving notes and entering items into their calendar... Why would you not notice that the date of the calendar was many years removed from the current date of where you are? They don't notice any of that. And he never even he never even notices the name of the town he's in. No, they do not. I, to be fair, now having um, boys of my own and being a boy myself, um, I would say that our powers of observation are not intensely keen. Fair enough. Um, but I think um, that I might have noticed uh, the, the, the date change if this was happening over a period of at least several weeks, if not more. Okay, that's an interesting place to discuss. Um, I think the only things that were far-fetched in the movie for me were things of of coincidence and convenience that were dressed up like fate, but didn't really play that way for me. If we go to Weathering With You, there's a scene towards the end where the little brother who has disguised himself as a girl to escape from the police station somehow shows up at the abandoned building at the very right time to grab a detective by the hair and stop him from from carrying out his duty against the the protagonist as he's as I mean this is a very serious situation the kid's yeah. got a gun uh, the kid has a gun that's been lying in this soaked warehouse for a soaked abandoned building for who knows how long and uh and it still <laughs> this works. isn't cinema sins we're not gonna go no, into I, I the logistics of how a gun could work but it is incredibly it's a it's a large leap to say that this kid shows up at well the right i mean time. there's there's a number of coincidences like that in weathering with you like when the when natsumi shows up on her scooter just happens to be the the very time that hodaka is running out of the police station and uh, she gives him a ride. Yeah, it's strange because I guess maybe she was going to see him out of concern because Keisuke had kind of turned her back, his back on him. Yeah. And she had just scolded him. So maybe she was on her way. But yeah, it's convenient. But the other one is just, that's a stretch. Well, right, because how would he know to go there? Uh, not as much of that in your name. Right. And I think that that helped with the the movie. Like too many conveniences of that nature are, in my mind, frustrating and and just too much deus ex machina is not, to me, a good movie make. When you were watching it and it got to the twist that they are not in the same timeline, did it catch you by surprise? It did. I was not um, 
I, because in fact, I was watching it with my family and my wife said, why previous to the initial phone call that didn't go through, why don't they just pick up the phone and call each other during the day? This seems like it would be an easy fix. And I was like, oh, seems like a good idea. That's what I sound like when I'm speaking to my family. But uh, no, the I did not see it coming and therefore it was a pleasant twist in the sense of like, oh, I, I'm surprised and shocked that we're going in this direction. I like that. I like that the twist comes and instead of being this, I mean, it hits really hard. It comes because the character is kind of trying to find the girl and he goes on this odyssey with Okudera, his senpai from the restaurant and his friend Tsukasa in tow. And I love the whole montage of them like goofing around while he's trying to like seriously do this investigative journalism thing and find this town that he can't, he only knows it from drawings that he did and, and like uh, piecing together like ideas of, of where it might be based on geography. But he goes on this odyssey to this town and, and he ends up showing the picture off and his like at his, at his lowest moment, a woman recognizes it as Itomori. And as soon as the name is uttered, every single person except him knows exactly like the history of this thing because it was this huge news thing that the comet had fallen. And everybody has that aha moment where they're like, oh my God, you don't you know about that? Like the comet that crashed and like blew up a town? Like 500 people died? It was this huge tragedy. And uh, somehow he kind of like had glossed over it in his brain. I really liked the whole reveal and um, how he went out to the the shrine after that, and he drank the <laughs> he drank the spit that he himself had delivered as Mitsuha. Uchi Kamazaki. Yep. I, I I thought that was a nice touch because it was more than you, know, you. You wanted that connection. You wanted to to reach out and and speak with her again or, or share the same space. Yeah. I I just it was to me I thought it was a a beautiful and meaningful gesture um him doing that. Uh and then of course it precipitates the whole rest of the film. I love the way they talk about it too. Um the grandmother refers to it as half of her. Like when you like put your spit into a bowl or whatever <laughs> and ferment it like it was like half of Mitsuha was inside of there and so when he drinks it it it's sort of it, they talked about how like the food we eat and what we consume sort of connects us to these things and by giving it to the gods it connects you to the gods it connects people to the gods and a shrine maiden's power I assume like real or not comes from the connection that they have with the celestial or the the beyond um, I love that that place with the tree in the center of the crater is referred to as the underworld. Um, and again, when he goes to cross into the underworld to meet Mitsuha at that climactic moment, he crosses water. And we talked about this in Sarazamai, how water in Japanese culture often is about traversal of the living and the dead, right? Um, at that time, you sort of assume that she's she's dead or that she's sort she's of lost like... it's all gone the story is written what i also liked about the mysticism 
in your name is that it was fairly amorphous. Mm. It was not, you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't, you didn't know what the powers, if there are any powers of a maiden, shrine maiden of this case. And so you didn't know what, what might happen here. And I honestly thought that was one of the shortcomings of weathering with you, because the first time we hear about um, the, uh, I don't, I forget the terminology, the water maiden, the hundred percent sunny girl, or you, oh, you mean like the weather maiden? Yes. The weather maidens is that, oh, you know, yes, you can summon water, you can summon sunlight, but it comes at great cost and you will, you yourself will, you know, I, I forget if they, it was even amorphous and you will pay a great price or something. Or you'll be sucked up into the heavens or, or something of that nature. And so it's right off the bat. You're like, well, I guess that I now know. I know what the outcome of this is going to be. It can't be good. <laughs> um, and so to me, that was telegraphed from a very early point in the movie. Now, I understand that that's not how the movie ends. And I, we can discuss that. Um, but that was sort of the big climactic. Or that was a, a major plot point that you would expect and we expected to see coming yeah um i also felt a little bit like they're very star-crossed lovers in the sense that they are both Mm -hmm. uh, under tremendous pressure they're they're adrift and alone and it just felt almost too heavy in a sense you're talking about your name right I'm no, no. I'm not talking. Oh, you're talking about, your about weathering right with you. I'm sorry. I'm talking about. Weathering you could be with talking you. about your name, but in your See, name's case, it's not heavy. Right. That's the thing. And I felt I. It was because we didn't have that extra emotional import of, you know, two orphans or refugees or, or other that other plot element going along, which was definitely referred to in uh, weathering with you. It's you know it's there, and we understand it's there. That these people both live on sort of the outskirts of the fringes of society and they don't, they're not sort of comfortable in the mainstream. Um, but it, it almost didn't, like, it, I don't know how well it gelled or I didn't feel like it gelled with the, it didn't gel as well. You know, looking back on it, I really don't have any criticisms of it as a plot point, but I just felt like it was a bit emotionally heavy in a way that didn't result in any particular payoff to me in that I wanted their emotional connection to be the same or I felt better about the emotional connection in the uh, in your name, where mm-hmm. um, they were not encumbered with what's really sort of dark and heavy <laughs> emotional themes. Now, we don't know that about, about the male actor uh, in Weathering With You, but the, the female actor is, as we find out, you know, she's younger than she's represented. She's taking care of her brother. Like Those are very heavy burdens at that age. And they're, you know, basically running around um, trying to avoid any sort of adult supervision. Now that That is pretty dark and, and challenging. Yeah. And, you know, we really don't get a sense for why. I guess because she was afraid of being separated from her brother. But I, they never really make it clear in Weathering With You why she thought that she'd be better off with just the two of them. Like why uh, Nagi and her couldn't have found a a foster home together. I guess maybe it's hard to be together. And if the the choice was separation, like we never had that big moment. I felt like we never had that big moment where she was like, 
I can't lose you or something. Um, Where there was some cost or, I mean, and she's 15 raising, how old is her brother? How old is Nate? I don't remember, but I think he's nine or 10. It seems odd that he's such a ladies man at such a young age. I think that was just a joke though. Yeah, but that I honestly felt that that, um, that changed the tenor of the movie a little bit because he is a, an important character and he does play some important roles, but he, he doesn't seem serious at all. And like having lost one or both your parents by the age of nine or ten and you're some sort of Mac Daddy, um, it I understand we're, we're playing it a little bit for laughs, but... It just felt a little more disjointed in a way that was very seamless for your name. Um, and to compare one to the other is, again, unfair. I think you made a point earlier that the emotional impact of one is blunted when you're just coming off the high of watching the other. And I can easily see that because they do feel similar in a number of ways. Well, one um, way that they do feel similar, and this is something we haven't discussed at all yet, is in the several music videos that sort of intercut the films. Um, How did you feel about those musical montages that sort of pop up? You're right. They do feel similar that way. Um, I was not a tremendous fan Mm. of the music in either movie um, in the sense that it was perfectly serviceable, but it did not... um, it didn't catch me. It wasn't a hook where I was like, man, I, I wish I had the soundtrack to these movies. That didn't happen. That may just be um, a generational thing or it may be a Japanese American thing. I don't know. But I think I think it certainly has possible elements of both. Um, I prefer music that I know the lyrics to and can sing myself. Um, it, it is weird, though, that there's lots of like vocal music in those films at times when they're still giving dialogue, they're still trying to tell a coherent story. So it's a little bit distracting sometimes. I, in fact, I felt like there was, and I can't remember exactly where in Weathering with you that I felt this way, but I did feel at times it was a little distracting. We moved into a musical montage and I was like, well, I did. I don't feel like I'm getting the emotional impact of the story here because I, I feel it's discordant. Uh, I did not feel that way about one name, one about your name. I felt that that movie Mm -hmm. was more seamless in its application of these elements. And it felt like more of a romantic film um, than Weathering With You did. Oh, really? Um, Interesting. They're both, they're both love stories. I mean, Um, there's, they both, both, both people in those movies cross heaven and earth to find the other. I, you were saying earlier that like your name uh, was not as heavy as weathering with you. And I would agree, but I would also say that at times the relationship feels cursed in the sense that they, they're wandering and they have this name in their mind and it's almost like a Greek tragedy in a way. Yes, I would agree with that. I, and I think it's a really excellent, you know, point of the story. Although Mm -hmm. one does have to, uh, point out that writing, I love you instead of actually writing your name <laughs> as, uh, as uh, oh. Taki did was a complete boneheaded move. Like you could have saved yourself a tremendous amount of pain. If you just written your gosh darn name down. Yeah. I wrote dumb teen at that part of the movie. <laughs> yeah. But, and that's precisely, but, but I honestly feel, and perhaps this is, um, this is a culture clash. I'm coming from my Western society and, 
And the idea of a love story of between a 16 and a 15 year old, while certainly plausible, when these they're struggling with such large other issues, like they're just trying to survive out there. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like it's harder for me to say this is an unvarnished love story when it's also a story about survival and human connection. And, you know, I would expect those two to be um, in their lives for a good period of time. But you're, I feel like, you know, you're still growing for so much longer after that. Your personality is nowhere near fixed. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like Horeka and... Um, Hina? Hina, sorry. Horeka and Hina just can't... They just don't have... They're not fully fleshed out characters or fully fleshed out beings, I should say, such that they can make an informed choice like this is somebody I want to be with. Like, I don't feel like they've... In fact, I think Horika hadn't been in any relationships previous to this. Well, that's that's sort um, of the uniting force between the two movies is sort of a, a dumb love that you just want to scream from the top of a building. Like, if you look at the end of Weathering With You, for everybody else except that one boy... That looks like he's about to commit suicide. <laughs> he runs to the top of this building to where this red gate is, and he literally jumps off the building. <laughs> um, but instead of dying, like he, he believed in his love, and he he's rewarded with a trip to the sky into the clouds. He's transported and... to the yes, where you know. <laughs> we, what a gorgeous, a what a gorgeous, like visual vista. all of that is. oh yeah, yeah and i have to say that the... the animation and the the conceptualization and visuals that were presented in weathering you were spectacular yeah i would even say beautiful. it's more spectacular than your name uh which, I, I would agree with that which saves most of its spectacle for the very end i'm i felt that um but i felt the story in one name was stronger and honestly story is what makes a movie mm. um you can you can get a long way with a great story and little budget. Um, uh, as, but as far as music goes, though, I actually like Weathering With You's music choices better. Uh, I also like the choice of having a female vocalist at certain moments. Uh, they they brought in Miura Toko to... Uh, she was, I guess, found through audition, and she sings the female vocal lines in some of the songs. Uh, I love the way the song comes in when he's running up the building. Mm-hmm. And it kind of reaches that climactic moment where he leaps off and then he's and then the sound cuts out and he's in the sky and it's it's terrifying in a way. Mm-hmm. You don't know what's happening and and he finds her. I love the symbolism of the ring. Like I think probably the most romantic line in movies in years is I don't care about the blue sky. I want you. And we have to talk about the ending of that movie, but let's first talk a little bit more about Your Name. I mean, I was a fan of the music. Uh, I think they're good songs. I just think that, like, I'm not as into the way that it's cut to look. In Your Name, it's much more like a music video, in my opinion, because the cuts are very, very obvious and stylized. Like, um, they'll show, like, the boy walking, and it'll be like, the sun's on part of his face and then the sun's over here and then the sun's on the other side of his face like it's like the camera is cutting and moving and it's it draws so much attention to the filmmaking like when you watch a music video um 
but in your in weathering with you it's a little bit more naturalistic i thought uh but it also is a little bit more commercial did you think that there was like like almost like mcdonald's commercials going on there like (laughs) well i mean you did have that in a lot of ways like i i was wondering at, at one point you know mcdonald's was the clearly referenced and i was a little surprised because i was like why would you deliberately put that in there would you could easily just have it be the name of any generic burger joint it would not matter probably they got funding um, i mean it's not the worst way of having a commercial in a film you know we do it with cars all the time in tv shows and uh james bond or whatever where it'll it'll be a shot that's specifically set up to make the car look great in a car commercial like setting but um that i could just hear the like i'm loving it or something like that like it was it was so maudlin it was so it felt like a totally different like scene and i think that this director is dangerously close at times to bordering on on like the sort of crass commercialism he's good at it though he's good at it i think he's really good at it like interesting critique i mean i i I tend to agree, but I'm going to take a step back and say that that criticism applies to the whole movie, right? These these movies have fairly easy and obvious twists in the sense of like this is these are well-structured commercial enterprises. Mm. Like I don't feel the plots are terribly risky from that perspective. Um, I don't feel like and, you know, our stories, both of them end on a very uh, well they end happily. And in fact, they end so happily that um, my sons, uh, after watching both of them, said like, oh, so these movies, you know, they get you all worried that things aren't going to work out, but then they always do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I was like, yeah. Well, yeah okay. Now we have to talk about Weathering With You's ending because did it work out? Because it is dark. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's like you can't really discard your past in terms of this uh this type of movie like you know we've got our the the protagonist there is dragged back to his home uh on the island Horika has to go back and he's there for how long uh he's on probation until he graduates from high school so that was i think he was a high school freshman when he left he was a freshman so was it two or three years i think he three had three years of probation and then he finally goes back to find hina and literally the moment he can leave he does doesn't he like abandon his ceremony or something is like graduation ceremony to like hop on a boat yeah and there's a fun little scene where he gets uh he thinks he's getting a confession but they really just want to know about his criminal record and whether he's going to be hunted because <laughs> you know he comes from a small island town is what i understood he might be from shikoku it was never clear to me and he's immediately back on a boat going to Tokyo. Yeah, and this, the, literally the moment he can leave again, he is out like a shot. But here's the thing. The, the decision is what's important in your in, in weathering with you. Like, we get Keisuke, who used to be more of a dreamer, but he lost his wife. And his daughter has asthma and he can't see her. And he's very quick to answer that he would sacrifice Hina. Before I talk about the ending of weathering with you, which hinges on this incredibly difficult decision that is made with very little thought (laughs) and all emotion Uh, i want to talk about the plot just very quickly so the audience if they forgot it or if they're not quite familiar is up to speed 
basically it's the story of um hodaka who comes from his uh his countryside home running away to tokyo and he finds life is much harder than he thought um he runs out of money very quickly and he eventually gets involved in a scuffle while trying to save a girl who gave him a hamburger uh who's pretty and you know uh there's something of that thing like people keep running into each other uh he he shoots a real gun that he thought was a toy i didn't know if he really thought it was a toy but that's what he says and it scares uh, it scares this sort of like lower level thug who is part of the um underbelly of the area that they're in it's not a particularly uh it's it's sort of a red light district the kabuki the kabuki cho is known in japan as sort of a red light district and uh what what the girl who's a part-timer was headed towards was probably some unseemly work that's what we can assume unseemly work so like a lingerie model let me tell you i am not a prude and I am not a scold for uh, the sex industry, but clearly she was going to be an escort or some sort of like um, date for hire. She would be selling her body. Possibly, possibly selling her body. It seemed like it might have been less extreme than that, but uh, she needs the money. As we find out later, she's raising her little brother, and she has to pay the bills. And she got fired from her part-time job, not because she gave away a free hamburger, but because I don't. we don't know why. She's incompetent. We don't know. She and he sort of form a bond, and he goes to work for this guy that's, that helped him out on a boat. And he does these sort of tabloid magazine articles. And, the, and Hodaka, who gets free room and board and meals, uh, works with uh, the, the woman who we find out is the man's niece, Natsumi, and he goes around trying to discover or get more and more details about this uh, idea of a woman who is is almost like born under a lucky star, so that whenever she goes anywhere, it's sunny. And in Japan, there's there's two types of people, and you know, it's almost like it's almost like a fortune telling kind of like level of superstition. But there's the hare onna or hare otoko which is the sunny, the 100% sunshine boy or girl. And then there's the ame otoko or ame onna. Usually it's hare onna and ame otoko. So re- sunshine girl, rainy boy, right? Even there's a there's a joke that the band Radwimps, who does all the music in these, they whenever they do a concert, it rains. So <laughs> they're known as uh, rainy boys. They're the rainy boys. Rainy boys, basically, yeah. Mm. Um, he... He finds out that she, that this girl that saved him is the real deal because she prays for she goes to the shrine on top of this abandoned building and prays for uh, a sunny day and it comes. And so without really trying, he sort of stumbles upon the the person he was looking for. And doesn't she tell him that she she can cause that to happen? I don't remember or if she it, does it, or not. I don't know if it's that I, I think she does. I think but... she tells the story that you know, she she gained this power when and she relates the story that she saw this shrine and she went there and wished because she the last thing she wanted was to be able to walk with her mother. again. That comes much later, though, when she reveals that. Oh, I've then. OK, but she just doesn't talk about her mother until later in the film. And 
I didn't realize that like the movie starts with her uh, listening to her mother's like um, EKG meter. Like, mm-hmm. it starts with her in the hospital. In the hospital by her mother's bedside, and she runs out of the hospital into the rain and goes to the shrine, and she prays there. And there's a scene where it looks like she's in the sky briefly. But it doesn't revisit that until later in the film. But to just wrap it up, basically she uh, and he start a bit. She and Hodaka, Hina and Hodaka start a business where they sell their services as like sunshine bringers. And uh, and then it turns out that every time she's been using this power, she's been sort of like using up the magic that. The, the, there's like, well, a, there's like using a, up her. There's like a contract between her and the sky, whatever power the sky has, or whatever. Like there's dragons and and fish in the sky. But yeah, that's but never really explained, is it? it? You do see the mural at that one part where they go to the temple and they explain <clears> what the weather maiden is, and it seems like, uh, it seems very fanciful, like a very stylized version of what uh, Hodaka will see when he's in the sky. Well, they also, and they talk about the fact that there, you know, there's, you could have a whole ecosystem on a cloud and it's been unexplored and we don't know. And then there's a couple parts where like there's the water squid that vanish, you know, almost instantaneously after they've landed on earth. So there's, there's an implication of a weirder and wilder world up there that we just don't know anything about. It's a very non-human world. Um, Yes. But weather maidens are apparently sacrificed to to assure that there'll be good weather. Um, at one point, Hodaka, at his, he, he gets the choice, like she asks him point blank if he wants to have good weather again. And he doesn't really think about it. He just kind of says, yeah. And, and then they spend a night together. I know I'm glossing over a lot of stuff, but I want to get to the ending. They spend the night together um, with the little brother in a in a nice hotel. It's kind of like their last hurrah. Um, and and she disappears, and we knew she was disappearing. She said she was disappearing. We're told about the weather maidens and how there's a price to pay for messing with that kind of power. Um, and she's gone, and he. He gets arrested by these truancy officers, which are so dedicated to their job. It's it's I mean, kind of comical. Some, I don't know. There were this many problems with truancy in Japan. Like these guys are using closed caption videos and they're tracing down, you know, there's a, there's a whole force on the ground to capture these truancy subjects. Again, they're presented as obstacles, but they really are trying to do what's best for everyone. And that's one of the things that unites these ser- these two movies is that the adults, as I said earlier, are always looking out to for the benefit of others. Like they're doing their jobs. Like the mayor sees the kids in your name putting together this elaborate plot to derail, to, to convince people to leave because of some cockamamie theory his daughter has about the comet splitting in half and, and he takes over. Until later when she finally is able to convince him by invoking her dead mother. I did think that was an interesting scene in that particular movie because only the real daughter is able to convince her father. Yeah. 
Like, he sees through her lie, too. Which they suggest in your name that the women of the um, Miyazawa family, is that right? Miyamizu. The Miyamizu women all had these strange dreams where they were displaced in their bodies into somebody else. Um, but it's something that they grow out of. It's something that sort of fades like a dream they had. But probably every generation of this family um, was blessed with this gift of being able to inhabit another's life. And it's possible that the father was aware of it. I, I think he might even have said it. And that's how he recognized that Mitsuha definitely wasn't herself. Yeah, you'd think that would cause some consternation. It's like, oh, well, you must be the non-Mitsuha person who is inhabiting Mitsuha's body today. <laughs> like, <laughs> it seemed pretty obvious to a lot of different parties that this was not Mitsuha. Um, but then there was very little inquiry as to who it might in fact be. Like, what happens if you body swap with a serial killer? Like, that seems like it could be a problem. Right, right. But we'll we'll move away from that. Weathering that was, with you, weathering with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're all leading to the end. Um, it's 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 Mitsuha's birthday. He gave her the ring, um, but when she goes to the sky, the ring falls down, and he picks it up. And another extraordinary act of convenience. Um, that, that one I like. Dropping from the hip. It, I mean, I, I'm I'm okay with that one as it furthers the plot. They all further the plot, but. Um, I mean, I just like it because it's it's romantic and pretty, and it it she was taken from there, so it would make sense for it to fall. I mean, it might have gained huge amounts of speed and come down and and destroyed all of them. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that it would have passed terminal velocity and turned into an agent of destruction. Um, I, I would have preferred straight like through I, his head. <laughs> yeah, you could have had some sort of conceit where it homed in on him in some meaningful fashion but and he scoops it up out of the rain all right go go on what what is the then he goes to the when he runs away from the police and he he ends up back in the clouds he pulls her away he makes his big declaration and basically instead of having good weather which they were like they had the most terrible weather it seems like the more that she interfered with the rain that was falling it wasn't that she was actually making sunny days for everyone. She was making sunny days by shifting <laughs> the rain to another place. And there was a huge storm building above the heavens, which Hodaka gets a vision of, that was going to come down upon them. But because she sacrificed herself, the gods are pleased, uh, and sunny weather comes back to Tokyo. But... Hodaka makes the choice not to let everyone have their sunny weather, but instead to bring climate change upon everyone. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard not to talk about this movie's ending without talking about climate change. Well, to to visit destruction upon the entire city of Tokyo, millions of people displaced and um, their homes ruined, their livelihoods destroyed. Hey there, I'm Marn, and I've got a new podcast right here on the Orange Groves Network. Every other Thursday on Dead Letter Society, I'm going to invite a friend into my library of terror to discuss a piece of horror fiction. We'll tackle topics like, why does Stephen King like evil clowns so much? 
Why is IKEA so inherently scary? And why don't young adult publishers like the horror genre? You can even read along with us week to week and weigh in with your own opinions on the Orange Groves Discord. So check out Dead Letter Society, a horror book club podcast, on the Orange Groves Network website or your podcast provider of choice. Hi, I'm Caitlin. And I'm Joe. Sugar We're Going Down podcasting is exactly what it sounds like. Each week, we get a random Fall Out Boy song and discuss it in various ways, such as... What are its merits musically? Is it a bop? Does it have chugs? It's lyrical complexity. Sometimes Pete writes a triple entendre, and sometimes he doesn't even finish the first entendre. Does the video make any goddamn sense, though? Usually, no. How gay does it make us feel? Usually... A lot of games. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your personal podcatcher of choice and get a new episode every Wednesday until it kills us. Caitlin, is this more than you bargained for yet? Honestly, it already is. about mold the amount of mold and just the the very difficult position it probably the very difficult uh logistical problems that come from massive flooding like that i mean look what happened when tsunamis hit uh fukushima right it was it was devastating uh and it got into their nuclear power and their fishing industry is 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 messed up and it will be for I don't know, half-life. Generations. Yeah, generations. So, like, um, his decision was was made from a pure heart, right? He loves this girl. He won't sacrifice this one person for everyone. But it's a, yeah, it's a huge like it's a choice. bit of a Faustian bargain. Like, I'd point out, she wasn't... When she walked through the shrine, she was praying for the ability to spend time with her mother who was dying. Uh, then she's bestowed with this power, which can briefly bring around sunshine. But the cost of this is that it rains on Tokyo incessantly, um, <laughs> presumably wherever she is. And she's going to have to be, one way or the other, sacrificed to the heavens in order to appease the gods. That's not very charitable. Like, she didn't even gain the power to give you a full day's worth of sunshine. I didn't even think it was a very charitable deal. And no, it's a terrible it, deal. If you look at it's it, it's basically like the gods saying, "Like, well, we'll take this one, and we'll drown you until she's dead." <laughs> if you look at it, she has a collar in the movie. It's a it's a collar, but it's a, like a jewel that looks like a raindrop. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when she falls from the sky and the the contract is broken, the collar falls off. So, I think that she was basically marked to be their their sacrifice and. The, the allure of finding herself and pleasing this boy who she's slowly falling in love with and gaining feelings for, that's sort of like what pushes her in the direction of, of using her power and thus pulling herself closer and closer to fulfilling that contract. I say contract, but there's no actual contract. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I got you. I, I, that was another thing that I just found mystifying because the 
you know, the, the Shrine Maiden back from your name has the ability to switch, you know, you're switching with somebody and maybe that's got some sort of usefulness or power or mystique to it or not. But Well, it's not the, the X-Men. <laughs> no, it's not the X-Men. Um, although it would be, if you're able to, to, you know, talk with somebody three years in the future, that has certain implications. The power in Weathering with You is really kind of a, a serious bummer. Like, you want to you wanna talk about power? It's like, well... I have this power such that I can make it sunny every now and again at the cost of destroying wherever it is that I live under perpetual rain. <laughs> That's a bad power. I liked it, though, in the sense that, like, it, the movie was about kind of spreading these patches of happiness to people and warmth. And so it convinces you for a while that that's a good thing. But the sunny weather in the climax where he's looking up and he's lost her where Hodaka's looking up at the sky and he's lost her and it's sunny. That sunny weather hurts, man. Holy shit. I had like an oh, I, ache in I, my heart. I agree with you. And, you know, I thought the only sop to this was when... I do not recall with whom Hodaka was speaking. Um, but it was at the end of the movie when... What's a sop? A, a bone throwing a bone to the reader oh okay to the to the viewer um you know the only thing you've got is that somebody says you know don't this cannot be your uh doing weather patterns change you know you said 200 years ago this was you know one of the rainiest areas in the world and now it's just returning so you know, you don't you're not causing this weather it has nothing to do with you um which is presumably the truth because otherwise um, they do have mystical powers beyond their understanding, mm-hmm. which of course we see that they have mystical powers. So the whole thing is a little like the implication is to throw doubt on just how much power we're talking about and to cause self doubt in Hodaka. But then he's like, no, we did change the world. But I just it's very weird. It's like, yeah, you changed the world, but for the unequivocal worse, you destroyed an entire city. And presumably there's some sort of, like new desert that's been formed out there. Like there's no more monsoons in India and the whole country's turned into a barren wasteland because all the water is now pouring on Japan. I missed that. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just speculating. Oh, gotcha, like, gotcha, if you gotcha. take rain away yes, from one yes. place. I could see it. I could see that being the case. Um, like I was saying, it is about climate change in a way. Like if you could avert climate change by making a wish and sacrificing someone, would you do it? And the movie says, no, <laughs> Uh, and it's romantic and beautiful, but it's short-sighted. And uh, and I think that at the mo- at one point in the movie, someone says, I think Keisuke says that everyone would choose to sacrifice that person if they could, because. But but then then the movie keeps going, and humans adapt. Life goes on. And I didn't really like when he goes to see this last uh, person who made a, a request to the weather maiden. And she kind of gives him an out. Like, well, this place, as you were saying, this place was always like this 200 years ago. It's just weather. You couldn't do anything about it. I forgive you. <laughs> and then he's able to go and see Hina with like his head held high again. Right, with the conscience cleared. Like, I didn't like that the, the easiness of it. I wanted him to actually see... You wanted him to have the emotional burden? At least... A, I, well, you know what? 
he made a choice. He he gives it well. He gives it to himself. He's he says no. We were the ones who changed the world. Right, but we as film goers, because as you said, these are happy endings. We as film goers get this this easy out, and we also get no indication of what kind of damage this did as far as actual human life toll. Like if they ended up like causing massive homelessness and death and disease of like people dying of new molds or like toxic radiation. Like I know that's really heavy, but the, I feel like the director in this one, as opposed to your name is playing with kind of like more heavy things and he's doing it in a light way, which doesn't always fit. Well, it doesn't fit here. But I still I, I feel love like the it romanticism of it. Well, I mean, it's I, a fairy I don't tale. Say... They're both fairy tales in a way. They are. They're both fairy tales, and they're both good movies. And I don't want to detract from it. But again, um, of the two, I preferred, and my audience preferred, uh, your name over uh, whether any of you. But that was also the order in which we watched them. Yeah. Well, it's hard. It was hard for me to um, like. Even though Weathering, even though Your Name is like, is not his first movie. He had several before that and was already an established director before that. Uh, this was his big, big arrival. And I don't know why, but Weathering With You has the sophomore, the sophomore um, curse on it. You know, like, like the second album that, that an artist puts out after their big hit. It's true. It, it just, it... It echoes a little bit uh, your name, and it does it so in a way that makes it feel more derivative than fresh. Even if the movies, there's the the more I try to pick it um, at weathering with you, the harder it is mm. to really unravel it. I think it is a smart and well paced and well designed movie, um, but I still just don't like it as much. And it's also the establishment of the uh, Shinkai Makoto cinematic universe because uh, Taki and Mitsuha from Your Name appear in Weathering With You as cameos, which is a little is a little on the nose, man. Yeah, I think that's I think it's quite funny uh, in some ways. It's you can't escape the specter of your own success. Yeah, I guess he's leaning into it. You know, he's a very like he's a very like gentle looking man. Uh, he, they're very autobiographical in a way because he is from uh, he's originally from a small town, and he found his success in Tokyo. He he went to Tokyo and like probably went through similar feelings at least like there's there's shots in this movie that are very much just uh, or like when Mitsuha first sees Tokyo when she's like all panicked that she's a boy but when she sees Tokyo all of that just like evaporates and she's suddenly like wow I'm in Tokyo she doesn't even show up to school till like 12 o'clock in the afternoon because she's been just like taking it all in also she didn't know where the school was probably but so if we're to take some larger themes from this, um, you know, I felt like I, and correct me if I've already said this on the podcast, but these are much more accessible movies than Studio Ghibli's offerings. These are much less fantastical. They, they could be regular movies 
in a lot of ways. You know, throw in some sci-fi effects, and they they connect to human stories and normal humans. Like they connect to the the stories between regular people. I think a lot more, or they are stories about regular people thrust into these circumstances more than thrust into fantastical or or spatial circumstances. And you know, I that of course that comment applies to something like Spirited Away, where that is the whole conceit of a family being drawn in. But I, I think that it does it in a way that is that connects to the current reality of, of our existences more. And I think that resonated more, or it appears to resonate well with audiences, and it certainly resonated well with me. And I thought they were beautiful movies and wonderfully done. And they drew you in and showed that the magic of animation um, does not have to rely on on sci-fi tropes or fantasy tropes um, as heavily it can just focus on the human stories mm-hmm. uh, not not to imply that there aren't fantastical elements here but it's you know it's kind of like a time traveler's wife sort of story where you really are trying to focus on the the romance and the connection between individuals uh, which drives the movie more than um, some larger portentous um, fantasy element uh, and i Perhaps perhaps I'm underselling the fantastical elements of these movies because I think that the human stories that were crafted here were so good and were so central to the movie that that's what resonates with me. I agree 100%. Um, I don't know if I've thought about what they mean overall because they're just such good-natured films. Um, they both act as coming-of-age stories, which is something we've we've dealt with before on this show. But in this case, um, we're taking them from their sort of fumbling teenage years into something more adult, something more permanent, but encapsulating the good parts of who they are and bringing it into these these new people. Like the story of Hodaka is about a boy who arrives with nothing and he he just he puts in so much effort to improve himself and reach new potential. And he goes from living at this guy's uh, living in this guy's office and doing little chores and things and getting paid an absolute criminal wage and not being able to break an egg over a bowl to being able to chop a green onion with the best of them to being able to, he he puts on a suit later in the movie. He, He gets a blazer like, he arrives, he arrives and he realizes his potential in Tokyo. And, um, and Hina also, you know, she, she's just trying to scrape by after losing her mother. And she's not, she's trying her best, but she's not necessarily doing what's right for Nagi, you know? Um, and she doesn't understand that at that point. And the movie sort of like clarifies more that, that they they all have to to grow up a little bit. And in the case of Taki and Mitsuha, it's not so much that they themselves aren't growing up. It's that they were missing part. They were missing something. And they fill each other in in an interesting way where um, their lives become more enriched because of their entanglement. And yeah, it, it's it's a cute phrase, but it causes them to grow and develop and to feel connected to somebody else. Yeah, and they don't even see it as a romance. You know, 
Um, and Taki's pursuit you know, of her ends up pushing his drawing into a love of architecture, and he he discovers his own passions even more. Um, uh, that's an interesting take on it. I I thought that that was his general career, anyhow. But when though? I, when did you think that? When did you think well, was, architecture was it? Because he, I, it was just the implication that I had. But I, I, the point that I wanted to make was just that was getting back to when Taki goes on the date with uh, Miss uh, Okudera. Um, but it's actually the date that Misua always wanted to go on. Right. So she sets Taki up on his on her ideal date, and you know it's it's clear at that point that they really the desire should really be that they go on that date together. It's not Miss Okudera who should be there. Yeah. Which is obvious even to Miss Okudera. Yeah, that's they start crying independently of each other, uh, either talking about that or or thinking about it, or just like later when they. They sort of end up confessing to each other. Well, he confesses by writing on her hand, but <laughs> he was going to tell her. Yeah, no, let bring it back to, you know, do we think, what do we think is going to be the future for this director? And do we, like, I think these are beautiful stories and, and he could continue to make these kinds of stories, mm. derivative actions for them and probably continue to be, uh, at least moderately successful for the rest of his career. Um, do you do you think this has larger implications for him for animation? For I want to hear what you think. I think that Japan was desperately looking for what comes after Ghibli because as strong as Ghibli is, as much money as they make, um, they can't keep it going forever. They can't be relevant forever. Hayao Miyazaki has retired like three times. <laughs> um and his follower his his um his the people inheriting his legacy including his son uh have not been able to draw the same numbers as he does in many cases but they still do well i'm not saying that they they don't have more gas in that tank they still have films coming out but uh they've branched out beyond just um just cinematic film anime um your name and weathering with you as you pointed out they may not necessarily need to be anime but they are extremely well done in the sense that they are hand-drawn um they look like they put a ton of work into especially in weathering with you with the rain effects i mean that's not the first movie that this guy's done with rain effects but he does they, they do take it to another level I mean, I, I loved the way these movies were presented, and I I don't need or want them to be live action. But they will be. J.J. Um, um, Abrams' company has optioned your name for a live action adaptation, which would, I presume, would be Americanized or English language. Uh, interesting. Made in the Hollywood system. I'm willing to watch it. But, I don't... again, this didn't need to be. <laughs> uh, and I what I what I hope is that... Uh, director, I mean, really, what's interesting to me is not um, repeated echoes of the past. It is the new voices that step up and say something new. And I'm hopeful that, you know, this will inculcate more people to take a risk on animation in terms of their development media. It has in a because... lot of ways, I would say. I've seen a lot more films that that don't need to be 
either licensed properties or or obvious licensed properties like the new Naruto film or whatever, you know, like or a Dragon Ball film or a Draimon film. Like I've seen more and more uh, artists coming out again and finding success. Um, it's it's interesting that you would ask what's next for this guy because he's made two movies about a boy and a girl in high school and they're a little pondery pondering and they're a little they're a little navel gazing um they're not they're full of big epic teenage emotion but what can the same director do um when he breaks out of that and continues with these these stories like will can he do something more fantastical um, but still grind, grounded in a way that appeals to a lot of people that already like his work. It's it's an interesting dilemma he's in. Uh, he may just keep making these things. He may just make endless amounts of movies in which boys, uh, one boy and one girl are involved in some kind of mystical mayhem. But he may have hit the well dry on that one. I mean... He's already said, like, how do I even bring back these two characters from this film as I did with the ones from your name since I've already sunk <laughs> in Tokyo? <laughs> like, there's no way to continue that world for him unless... Honestly, I think it would be fascinating to to take a spin off of that and just, like, where do you go with that? Where do you go with a sunken Tokyo? Yeah. Waterworld? <laughs> One of the things that I really liked about this is is... There's a lot of Japanese iconography. There's a lot of things that just feel Japanese. And and if you're if you've been in the culture and you have in some ways because you were there with me, you uh you give me way too much credit. You, but go you on. You kind of recognize uh, a feeling, um, and it's described as the in the, the the director's interview that that aired after the movie when I saw it in the theater and I did see it weathering with you in the theater. Um, his description was that when you see the gate, the red gate, the Tori gate, as a Japanese person, you just want to clasp your hands together and pray. And and so it, he's playing with images and, and things that just instantly bring about feelings in Japan. Um, and sometimes it's it looks like it's just product placement. <laughs> But sometimes it it's deeper than that. Um, I also like that um, it, there's a point when uh, Hodaka doesn't quite believe in her power, even though he's seen it firsthand. So he wants to like hedge his bets. So he mil- makes her this umbrella, and it's got the, something called teru teru bozu, which are these rain wards that are supposed to keep the rain away. But they just look like little hanging ghosts. And he dresses up the younger brother as like a giant version of that. And it's very ridiculous. And it's... I adored that part, by the way. Yeah, it's wonderful, right? But <clears throat> that is a very Japanese culture thing. As is the idea of a rainy day boy and a sunny day girl. Like very Japanese ideas that sort of like spark something in that audience specifically. But the fact that he can translate those things and make them broad enough and and fun and and full of life that he can reach larger audiences is is spectacular and 
and worthy of praise for me. Well, I, I, I agree completely. I was very happy that these were on our docket here for our review. Uh, I thought it was super important that we do these because, um, because I'm a lapsed anime fan. I don't know if I've said that in this show, but for many years I was not watching anime. And it was because I felt like I was just repeating things over and over again. Like I knew the beats. I knew the, I knew the way that shonen manga would play out. Like, like I'd gotten sick of the grind of anime and I'd gotten sick of some of the tropes that had been like endless. And, and I wasn't really fair to it because I had been a huge fan when I was in high school and college. And I, and when I lived in Japan, but, eventually i just sort of fell off the fell off the anime wagon and your name was one of the reasons that i came back on and and it's important that we talk about these films and these directors because they're sort of the new class and and we can bring a lot of our experience of watching older anime to these new things and find like what what new things these directors are doing uh like the Summer Wars director who has a bunch of great films, but he also travels in somewhere between sort of like a, a reality and a fantasy, right? Uh, he has another yeah. film called The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, which is like got time traveling elements, but it's it's also a very grounded story um, that that plays on the same sort of high school age demographic. I think, yeah, I, you know, I, that's that's the direction I do hope that we go and continue to go. Like I, this has been a fantastic journey for me because you are the guide and I, but the uh, the the wayward soul following along behind. Well, I have to think that eventually you'll be like, I want to do this series, and you're gonna do it because I've already done all these dumb series that you like. <laughs> um, maybe, maybe, <laughs> but you know, I feel like there's such a um. There's such a repository of wonderful anime out there that um, I still feel like a kid in a candy shop. I don't feel like a jaded old hand. No, not at all, right? And, yeah. And so, you know, to me, uh, I'm not sure I'll ever feel the need to to force us in a particular direction just because of how, you know, how interesting and wondrous the journey is. So I just came upon in my notes the alternate title for Weathering With You. And I called it Much Teenage So Rain. <laughs> was that? Sorry, was that your alternate That's title? That's my alternate title. Ah, uh, okay. I was just... Okay, I was going to say, that would be a very bad first first draft of, of naming the movie. <laughs> oh my gosh. I want to say, too, that of all of the characters in both movies my absolute favorite is natsumi and it's because when she goes like not only is her introduction great where she's just sleeping on the couch and she just accuses him immediately of looking at her boobs and allows him to believe that she's uh her own uncle's lover right although she does seem to be she's taken aback by it later yeah 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 um but She's just she's just so easygoing and she's always constantly making these gags um with the cat and saying meow. Yep. And she, she's she when she goes on this um 
this interview with this fortune teller, she thinks that not only every every word out of the fortune teller's mouth is about Natsumi. <laughs> like every description, oh, right. yes. every description of a sunny girl is about her and every description about a rainy girl is about her. And she comes away thinking that every bit of like warning about how you shouldn't play with nature in that way uh, would have a price to pay. She thinks that it's a warning to her and she's just a, she's just a joy to watch on screen when she goes on her like job hunting i love that she's all like she just keeps repeating the same thing like this is the place that i want to be and she gets more and more violent about it I didn't oh yeah I, I i very much liked her uh i thought she was a a very fun character and then even when she's um helping um odaka escape and they're they're riding along and she decides she's gonna run through that big puddle or the 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 sunken street yeah you know she was she was a a, she's kind of like a manic pixie girl honestly but that's not doing her justice to call her she's a a little bit you know what i thought of um there's an antiquated expression that seems to have come out of vogue because of its uh its cultural appropriation relation to native americans but oftentimes we would say that she is my spirit. She's like my spirit animal. Like Natsumi is like my spirit animal. Like I can see a lot of like qualities that either I have at moments or that um, I aspire to in some way. Like it feels like she speaks for some side of me. Like, I think there's a Natsumi in everybody. <laughs> I I do think she's, um one of the most iconic characters that we see and i was trying to think if there's any others i'd actually um to go to another indelible character i'd have to go all the way back to like summer wars um in the same sort of vein because i felt some members of the family like the the uncle who was who wanted to declare war on uh and we need to go out and defeat this this virus. Oh yeah, he's gung ho. That's the word I oh, would yeah, use but, to describe you know, him. I just he's he's a blustery fool, and he gets you know put in his place all the mm-hmm. time. But I just loved the character because he was, you know, he he was a man with a hammer, and every problem was a nail. There was not a lot of sophistication nice. to him. Um, what was your favorite I, I, character in either Your Name or Weathering with You, or what was your favorite moment? I actually liked some of the scenes in particular when uh, in your name when uh, Mitsuha was in Taki's body and they go to like the um, the cafe for the first time and she orders the fancy food and she's able to eat it um, and she's like you know looking around she's like well it's fake money I'll just you know I'll eat this anyway and you know, it was a very mundane scene in a lot of ways, but I remember, you know, just it's just this childlike glee of being able to indulge in a fantasy that you've had. And um, I just liked the way that scene played out and the the sort of um, it just it was something that stuck with me about that particular movie um, that I really liked. I liked that scene and I actually noted the editing in that scene because there's a really fun edit where um she takes a she takes an Instagram photo or a social media photo of the food, and after she takes the photo and removes the camera, 
there's that little magic trick where the food is gone. So they don't show her like eating it. It's mm-hmm. just this like instant cut. And I thought that was really clever. Um, so I watched the Japanese versions of both films. Uh, and the the actors, I believe in both films, are, are um, first either first timers or they were found through audition. Um, I don't think they set out to do it that way. I believe the director just had auditions and just waited to find the perfect voices for these people. But um, I thought the performances across both films were fantastic. Uh, some of the side characters, maybe not quite as much, but the main, the main characters in Your Name who are playing both male and female, you know, and in Japanese that like female language is different plus you've got the accent which is different like did you watch it in english so i watched weathering with you in japanese with english subtitles but your name had a full dub team and i thought they did a very good job Uh, so we watched that one in dub okay and did you did you notice anything about like uh the performances in the in the dubs dubbed versions were there any famous people on the no and i i think i was a little surprised by that because often that's what they use in our western audiences to bring people in um but uh and i was just seeing here if i can see oh wow yeah i'm looking at the names and i don't recognize a single one but i'm not i'm not well versed in that world but but it's it's obvious these are not a-listers by any means that's really cool. Um, I wonder what Weathering so I, with you was like. I don't know that they have an English dub. Maybe they do. Oh, yeah, they do. I don't recognize. Oh, Alison Brie. That's right. I do recall this. Alison Brie. But the version that uh, I purchased did not have. Oh, you had the to choose. Dub. You had to choose between Japanese or English. And your kids followed that, okay, right? I, we told them you have to watch the subtitles. So they did. <laughs> My, my daughter likes subtitles. She watches everything in Japanese that she can. So to wrap it up, um, both films, really good. I'm sure a lot of people have seen them. I'm glad you guys could join us for this discussion. My voice is obviously shot. <laughs> Damn, that just happened out of nowhere. Oh, it's just late. But... That's the sound of me drinking water. You want to hear some ASMR? (laughs) Thank you all for joining us for this lovely discussion. Um, We will be back with Series 3 next week. Series 3 is about uh, keep your hands off the Azoken or the Film Research Club. It's a very fun um, series with kind of brilliant characters and a lot of like deep nerdy talk. And I think we can really dig into it and have a lot of fun with it. But for now, I'm going to go and get some sleep. (laughs) I have off tomorrow. Um, Don, it's always fun talking to you with these about these films and catching up. I can't wait to do our next intermission when we're going to be looking at um, another Yuasa film uh, following a Yuasa series. Yuasa is another one of these directors that has got a strong uh resume but who i didn't really i wasn't really aware of 
until this resurgence in my interest in anime. So we'll be covering that. I am very much looking forward to it. Thank you as always, Sabrina. You're welcome as always, Don. Thank you all for listening. This has been Okashina Podcast Anime with Friends. You can follow us on twitter.com. That's a website where you can social your media. Uh, it's at slash O-K-A-S-H-I-N-A-P-O-D-C-A-S-T podcast. Well, don't put podcast twice. I said it weird. <laughs> uh, See what happens when you do that. Yeah. Uh, you can also support us by going to our Patreon. That's um, through the Orange Groves Podcast Networks. That's orangegroves.com slash... Wait, no, it's not. It's not that at all. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> patreon.com slash the Orange Groves. And you can also follow us, uh, give us money <laughs> by buying us a coffee on ko-fi.com. That's the same spelling, Okashina Podcast. Um... And, you know, if you want to just come and give me a back rub and tell me I'm pretty while stroking my hair, I wouldn't mind that either. (laughs) I don't know if there's an easy website to go to for that. Oh, no, no. I don't have an OnlyFans yet. (laughs) Oh, boy. Wasn't going there, but here we are. Uh, Don, do you have an OnlyFans? I do not. Yeah, too bad. It has been awesome. We'll see you next time. Except we won't see you because our eyes are in the back of our heads. <laughs> you should have just said you were struck blind. I should have quit while <laughs> I was ahead. You, 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 you should have quit many moments ago. Yeah.